This is the Incubator and the Neonatology Review Podcast. We are your study buddies for neonatology topics. I'm Dr. Ben Korsha. And I'm Dr. Daphne Yasova Barbo. Welcome. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. It's Tuesday. Daphna, are you... We are, are just... You... Good. <laughs> I was going to say, we're just plugging along with the we're history of BPD definitions. I know, but I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited. It's like, uh, it's like a series, you know? Yeah. You know, I think for people... I mean, you talked about this a little bit yesterday, but for people who don't understand why this is so important and you didn't have time to listen to the Jensen episode. It's just that we can't we can't keep studying anything until we have the right definition for it, mm-hmm. you know? Well, um, mm-hmm. And then and then you'll you'll you will all listen to the Bankalari episode coming mm-hmm. up soon where he's like why do we even need to define this stupid thing? It's just impeding our progress altogether. <laughs> so <laughs> this is going to be exciting. Exciting. Okay. Well, I think um you did a good job of setting the stage, and I. You did talk about the changing um, uh, BPD kind of not diagnostic criteria, but really the histologic criteria. And I do think it begs repeating what some of those hallmarks are, because this again is definitely um, tested on the boards. So it was like you said the the reason that they. Uh, reinitiated this hunt for a new definition is that um, old BPD was definitively characterized by this airway injury, inflammation, and fibrosis was the major hallmark of of lung injury um, associated with BPD. Now, in this post-surfactant era, there was much less fibrosis, um, very little metaplasia, and um, those findings of a hypertrophy were, were no longer present. The major findings are really abnormal pulmonary vascular development and decreased alveolarization. Um, It is this disrupted septation of the alveoli that result in fewer and much larger alveoli. So sometimes they just show you like the histology slides and ask you like which one's new and which one's old BPD. Um, So I think it was important to review that again. So because uh, BPD itself, physio, uh, you know, uh, histologically was changing. We had to change our diagnostic criteria. So in June of 2000, there was a workshop organized by the National Institute of Child Health, the NICHD, um, and the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute, together with the Office of Rare Diseases held in Bethesda, Maryland, with the following goals. First goal was to review the definition of BPD and lung injury in very preterm infants. Uh, The second, to identify gaps in knowledge about lung development. The third, uh, to describe the best indicators of outcome for infants with BPD. And the fourth, to determine priorities for future research. So the findings of this workshop were described in this 2001 paper by Drs. Job from Children's Hospital Medical Center and Dr. Bancalari from the University of Miami, which was released in um, the American Journal of Respiratory and Critical Care Medicine, interestingly enough. Um, so at this workshop, they reviewed the changing clinical course of these preterm infants, as well as this now um, 
very long collection period of the NICHD neonatal network database. They also really took into account this eight-year um, follow-up study of preterm infants that showed that the radiographic evidence um, was predictive for rehospitalization only until about one year um, and for the need for asthma medication and wheezing at eight years, but not a lot of the other major outcomes for these babies. Um, and one of the other major kind of takeaways was that oxygen use at 36 weeks was predictive up to two years, but not after that, uh, past that time. The other major findings I think are worth highlighting um, of that um, study was that oxygen administration for the first 28 days did have the highest sensitivity, specificity, and positive and negative predictive values for oxygen at 36 weeks. And it was oxygen at 36 weeks that had the highest specificity, sensitivity, and highest infants correctly classified to predict oxygen at discharge. So now in this uh, iteration of the criteria is where we're really trying to distinguish that not all babies with BPD are the same, that there are uh, these different subgroups of babies um, with lung injury um, that have different clinical courses. So I think um, right out the gate, um, they still are relying a little bit on this 28 days of supplemental oxygen, but in a different way. So no BPD is defined as less than 28 days of supplemental oxygen. So if you got off of oxygen before that 28-day uh, mark, um, you were defined as no BPD. They also did something a little bit uh, unique in that they distinguished these um, very preterm babies from the more kind of moderately preterm babies. So they used a cutoff of babies that were born at less than 32 weeks gestational age as compared to babies who were born at um, greater than or equal to 32 weeks gestational age. So let's start with the youngest or the earliest babies first. So they were assessing these babies um, at 36 weeks postmenstrual age or discharge to home, whichever came first. And so they were defining mild BPD in this group of babies as breathing room air at 30. So again, they had to have been on oxygen, supplemental oxygen greater than 28 days and breathing room air at 36 weeks uh, postmenstrual age or discharge, whichever comes first. That was the mild BPD group. The moderate BPD group um, was, again, obviously they needed oxygen uh, greater than 21% for at least 28 days, plus um, the babies had less than 30% oxygen, but we're still requiring oxygen at 36 weeks postmenstrual age or discharge, whichever comes first. Okay. And then the severe BPD in the babies who were less than 32 weeks uh, gestational age at birth, these babies had um, greater than 30% um, supplemental oxygen and or positive pressure, so meaning uh, PPV or nasal CPAP at 36 weeks postmenstrual age or discharge, whichever comes first. Um, and then for this greater than or equal to 32 weeks um, gestational age group, um, it's similar, um, but still a little bit different since those babies were anticipated to stay in the NICU a shorter amount of time. Um, so their time point of assessment was greater than 28 days, but less than 56 days postnatal age or discharge, whichever came first. 
Um, so the mild BPD for this group is breathing room air by 56 days, postnatal age or discharge, whichever comes first. And again, they needed to have at least 28 days of supplemental oxygen to, to be in this mild BPD group. The moderate BPD group was a need for less than 30% oxygen at 56 days or postnatal age. Um, and the severe BPD group was need for um, greater than or equal to 30% oxygen and or positive pressure at, again, this 56-day mark um, or discharge, whichever came first. Mm -hmm. um, after this workshop and this paper came out, there was a kind of further refinement in the definition, including a physiologic challenge of supplemental oxygen withdrawal to test for oxygen need at 36 weeks postmenstrual age. So people may see this. Um, even our EMR still flags us for um, doing a supplemental oxygen test. So basically, um, infants were infants um, were then kind of reclassified um, if they were taken off of their supplemental oxygen at 36 weeks, and if they had an oxygen saturation of less than 88% within 60 minutes of this room air challenge test, they were classified as ESBPD. Um, even more so, subsequently, the saturation target was increased to um, if they had an oxygen saturation of less than 90% within 60 minutes of a room air challenge test that they would qualify. But I think the point of this refinement was really to challenge every baby and say, do they really need supplemental oxygen at 36 weeks? Um, when was that um, paper published? This was the, hold on, let me tell you. Uh, no problem. <laughs> uh, 2003. 2003. Um, Journal of Perinatology. Right. So that's the Walsh definition. That's right. Right. That's Walsh. Yeah. Um, yeah. And okay. So I think, in, I think this is a very interesting idea, right? Because it goes mm -hmm. back to some of the things that we've been talking about on the podcast and that we talked about with Dr. Bencolari during our recording, which is um, these definitions say requirement for X amount of oxygen, but how, how do you know they require, right? You don't really exactly. know they require unless you test that they don't do really well off of that amount of support. And so I think this is where this physiologic definition um, became very interesting, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so then some time goes by, <laughs> um, but, you know, our clinical care in the NICU changed uh, significantly in, in um, those, those decades. And to address kind of the changing landscape, but also the sense that the definitions really still didn't provide the best descriptive value or predictive value. Um, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was going to say, and also that there were so many more interfaces now as time went on, right? right. We, we have non-invasive IMVs, nasal CPAP, nasal high flow, all these things came around and now the modes of ventilation became many, much more varied. How do we address? There's, I think Eric Jensen has this famous slide where he's, he compares oxygen requirement at 36 weeks and there's like one kid on invasive, one kid on nasal cannula, one kid on exactly. non-invasive and he says, they're not the same. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Right. And that's definitely how, I mean, both clinicians and certainly families <laughs> felt about it. Um, so the NICHD held a um, workshop on BPD in October of 2016. 
So basically, um, a whole bunch of kind of new clinical data was presented, um, and the goals, again, were really to describe the definition, the epidemiology, the pathogenesis pathways, and the strengths and limitations of kind of the available options. Um, and part of their research agenda was describing what are the new medications, what are the respiratory support um, opportunities, and, and that's exactly what you're saying. So now that we're managing so many babies um, non-invasively earlier and for longer, um, they had we had to include this in our definition. Mm-hmm. So this report, so the conference was actually in 2016, the workshop, but the report was actually released in 2018, and that's why it's routinely referred to as the 2018 NIH definition. Um, it was released in the Journal of Pediatrics, and again, just let me tell you, this author list is full of stars. Um, some people whose uh, main research interest is not even in BPD, but it really provided this comprehensive um, review of uh, our BPD care. Yeah, I mean the Walsh. When we say the Walsh physiologic definition, that's um, that's Michelle Walsh, right? Last author of that physiologic that's definition right. is Avroy Fanoroff. And like you said, on this that's 2018 right. revision, Rosemary Higgins is the first author. Alan Job is in there. Eduardo Bencoari is in there. Um, our friend Rita Ryan should be. Mm-hmm. I mean, should noted that she's on that paper as well. Robin Steinhorn, which we'll have on the podcast next year. Mm-hmm. Um, Ronald Kleiman, I mean, Camilla Martin, it's just like a who's who of... Uh... That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's right. It's like, yeah, an Academy Award party, right? Yeah, it's like, you anyway. know, like these movies when you see the trailer and there's like all these famous actors and you're like, oh my God, it's Star Yeah, you're like, the... holy moly, that's right. <laughs> How did they get all those people? Exactly. <laughs> so, so one of the major, I mean, th- and this was like, right, an overhaul of the definitions as they stood. So they proposed using new terms instead of this mild, moderate, severe, which is something we say in clinical practice all the time, but they proposed using new terms of grade one, two, and three, three being the most severe form. Since it felt that these um, terms were less subjective um, than, again, the more generic mild, moderate, and severe. Um, They still were um, kind of relying on this 36 weeks postmenstrual age time point because most of the infants, especially our earliest uh, babies, the babies with the lowest gestational age, um, were still likely to be in the hospital at this time point. Um, So I guess we'll just get down to the, the nitty gritty. And I mean, we'll have all the tables and charts. And this one, I think, really requires you to look at the table. I mean, Dr. Bekulari so, admitted on the podcast that this definition right. was probably too complicated. Like, I mean, That's right. in retrospect, they were trying to address, like you said, the ev- the evolving landscape of the neonatology practice, but it's it's a bit tedious because uh, what you're going to go into is that you said, you mentioned already, grade one, two, three, three A, and then, so mm-hmm. that's a four four rows already, but then you have five columns addressing the different mode of support as well. Um, so that, yeah. that you can imagine. So it's a, it's a five by four table. Um, and that, that could get confusing. Yeah, it, it yes, it is confusing, <laughs> but the disclaimer here is that you have a premature infant, um, less than 32 weeks gestational age with BPD has persistent parenchymal lung disease, radiographic confirmation of this lung disease. And at 36 weeks, postmenstrual age requires 
one of the following FiO2 ranges slash oxygen levels slash O2 concentrations for greater than or equal to three consecutive days in order to maintain their arterial oxygen saturation in the 90% to 95% range. And I think, again, this is how they really took into that physiologic need. How do you know they need it if you don't trial them on mm-hmm. off or at least a little bit less, right? And so, and interestingly enough, the 28-day is no longer there. Correct. And, and, and you can see that the practice of neonatology gets so much better that they're focusing on less than 32 weeks alone. Right. right. It's almost as if the expectation is that at 30, if you're born 32 or more, you should not develop this new form of BPD because of BPD. how much development you've gone through. And so that's that's very impressive to see how yeah, advances in our field have shifted. Yeah. And I think it's also a reminder that if you have a baby that is greater than 32 weeks and you're calling this baby BPD, like maybe... Maybe there's something else, right, that, that you missed. <laughs> right. So it's a, it's a good reminder that yeah. um, there are other lung diseases, right, other than mm-hmm. BPD in a moderately preterm baby. So those are things mm-hmm. to think about. I mean, and they occur in the extremely preterm baby also. Um, so anything out of proportion to what is expected should be um, further evaluated. So I'm going to try to do this table justice. I'm actually going to start with the most extreme form because I think that's another major finding. So 3A, the fourth category, the most severe category, 3A, is early death between 14 days of postnatal age and 36 weeks owing to persistent parenchymal lung disease and respiratory failure that cannot be attributable to other neonatal morbidities, such as necrotizing enterocolitis, intraventricular hemorrhage, redirection of care, or episodes of sepsis. So I think that's an important component. Again, I think uh, speaks to how much uh, neonatal care has changed, where obviously babies still die in the NICU, but less and less of them um, are dying. So um, that 3A category is the most severe form of BPD. So grade one implies uh, that you do not need any invasive intermittent positive pressure ventilation. Um, A baby of grade one could be on nasal CPAP, NIPPV, or nasal cannula greater than or equal to three liters per minute um, and requiring less or requiring 21%. So this is the baby on a CPAP plus eight and 21%. That's grade one. Grade one. It also includes babies that are on a nasal cannula flow of one to less than three liters per minute Mm -hmm. and requiring 22 to 29%. Mm -hmm. It also includes babies who are under a hood oxygen of 22 to 29%, which I haven't seen a hood since my like first year of fellowship. (laughs) Um, Or the nasal cannula flow of less than one liter per minute um, of 22 to 70%. Right. So far, so so good? As the the intensity of the support decreases, the FiO2 requirement increases a little bit. um, And and so it it compensates one for another, it almost, it looks like. 
Yeah, so it's really... Right, exactly. As the flow slash pressure, which we know in some of these interfaces is difficult to measure for each individual, um, we, we would allow for more supplemental oxygen. Now, if that was not confusing enough, grade two <laughs> uh, <laughs> takes into account a baby who is on um, invasive, so this now you can have an intubated baby, intermittent positive pressure ventilation, um, but 21%. Oxygen. And that's important, right? So that means yeah. if you're on invasive, you cannot get a grade one. Like this is no. not in the cards for which you. Kind of, which makes sense. I think. It makes sense. That's true. <laughs> but in case, I'm sure people will listen in the car will say, well, did they mention invasive in grade one? But I think it's not an option. Like it's, right. it's there's like an X in the table. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And then they go back to look at all the other interfaces. So you can have nasal CPAP, nasal intermittent positive pressure ventilation, or nasal cannula greater than or equal to three liters per minute with a supplemental oxygen requirement of 22 to 29%. This is in contrast to grade one, which you could be on any of those interfaces, but you needed to be on 21. You need to be on room air, 21%. Then if you were a baby with nasal cannula flow of one to less than three liters per minute, and you could be a you could be on greater than or equal to 30% um, and you would be grade two. If you were on nasal cannula flow of one to less than three liters per minute and you were on less than 30%, you would be grade one. If you're on hood oxygen, greater than or equal to 30%, or if you're on nasal cannula flow of less than one liter per minute and greater than 70% FiO2. Mm-hmm. Grade three, but not 3A, grade three is actually a little bit easier. So if you're on invasive um, intermittent positive pressure ventilation and requiring greater than 21% FiO2, you're grade three. And if you are on um, really any of the other interfaces, nasal CPAP, nasal intermittent positive pressure ventilation, or nasal cannula greater than or equal to three liters per minute and requiring greater than or equal to 30%. FiO2, you would be a grade three. And we talked about it at the beginning that the grade 3A um, was this group of babies with BPD and early death. Mm -hmm. So subsequently, papers have compared the definitions against a variety of study populations. And in general, using the 2018 definition, the takeaway is that more babies are obviously found to have BPD um, because we're using... Um, because you're looking you at know, the interface they're on. Exactly. You're just not looking at, yeah, you're adding Just the oxygen, right? Because it allows for some of these babies who may be on higher pressures, so you could wean down their oxygen because they're, they're using high, higher pressures or flows. Um, so obviously more babies are, are getting into that BPD category, um, but they also found that um, any grade of BPD using this definition is associated with more comorbidities. And I think that's really what's important when we talk about why do our definitions matter? Do parents care about definitions? Um, I think we can give better anticipatory guidance um, if we can, if we have, I like, I think the definitions are useful. So <laughs> Right. But I mean, to, to go back to what you're saying, it's back in, if you're using the 2001 definition, um, and you have a baby that's born at um, less than uh, 32 weeks, mm -hmm. and they're on CPAP plus five, and they're on 21% at 36 weeks, right? Or right, or or more, right? CPAP plus nine and 21%, right? You kept that baby on CPAP plus nine and 21%. I mean, that kid has BPD, right? No, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> but but hold on, hold on. That's that's the that's what I want to tease out. 
Um, yeah. That baby's on CPAP plus eight, 21%. According to the 2001 definition, this kid has no BPD. No BPD, right. If you have the yeah. same baby who's on nasal CPAP plus eight and who's on 21%, now this baby is grade one BPD. Yeah, and I think we felt that clinically, right? You're like, no, how 100%. Can say this baby? This, how can we say this baby doesn't I, have BPD, I, right? I could not agree yeah. with you more. And I think it, it, it prevents any fudging of numbers and stats and stuff. But also, uh, it makes sense because if you are on nasal CPAP plus eight, you have lung disease. You have some form of lung disease. I mean, you're you're not you're not completely. Uh, you cannot be put in the same category as the baby who's on just room air with no interface. You know, it's like they're, they're not the same patient. So yeah, and but I, and I think unfortunately in this era of um, rankings and things, I think it limited some progress for some babies, right? Um, to try to wean them more aggressively. Unfortunately, I think we saw that right, clinical right. practice. Right, right. So, okay. And then, right. That's and it so, for Tuesday. So, yeah, I think that's it for Tuesday. And then um, tomorrow we'll talk about the, the Jensen paper. We'll talk about Vaughn. We'll talk about the BPD collaborative. And we'll try to tie in together all these other definitions that have been out there. But uh, this was super helpful, Daphne. Thank you so much. My pleasure. See you later, buddy. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. If you like our show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We would love to hear from you, so please feel free to reach out to Daphna and I via email by sending your messages to nicupodcast at gmail.com. You can also message the show on Twitter at NICUpodcast. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. This podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please see your primary care practitioner. Thank you.